Welcome to this new episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with me is co-host Justin Skabinski. Justin, it's been a while since we did a podcast, and uh, one of the main reasons for that is uh, all the time you've been putting into your new course, uh, Truth Matters. So I wanted to make this podcast about uh, your course and getting into it, um, specifically around like what is the course about and what did you learn going through the course? Um, yeah, so I learned a lot going through the course. The biggest thing I learned probably is that everyone needs to have some kind of idea of what they think works and then write it out and then create it and then hold on to it. And then as you go through life, start correcting that philosophy as you experience life and, and make it more uh, aligned with the reality that you find yourself in. And um, ultimately the Truth Matters course is focused around uh, success in whatever you want success to be uh, for yourself. And so that could be like, if you want financial success, if you want uh, familial romantic success, if you wanna, um, have a start a successful business, um, uh, write a book, anything really, even just doing the dishes or getting out of bed in the morning could be a success for a lot of people. And it is. And uh, how do you define like success within the context of like the, the material you put together? Yeah. How do you define success? So there's a couple of things. The, the first definition is you need a measurement of success and the yeah. measurement of success is simple just yourself yesterday. And as long as you're just did a little bit better than yourself yesterday, then, then you win. So the game's not that hard. Um, and, um, and then also being able to build upon those successes. And, and, and it's, it's always centered around this idea of um, th this one choice that we have, which is choice to do right or the choice to do wrong. And we spend a lot of time uh, really breaking apart that, that seemingly very simple choice. And then we find out that there's more to life than just being right all the time. There's more to life than uh, being wrong all the time. And what these two words mean and what they determine in our lives. And in doing so, we also have to lay the groundwork, lay the stage for those choices or for that choice. And um, we have to do that by um, talking about the reality that we find ourselves in, which actually isn't very interesting compared to um, human consciousness, which is what we talk about in section two and section three. Um, the reality that we find ourselves in, once we understand what that is, which I finally have, I'm at a point now where I, I, I get it, which is awesome. And then um, the, the, the interesting part is always human consciousness interacting with other humans um, and that part of it, because the, um, Universe is kind of boring without humans. With, without consciousness, because it all comes down to consciousness. What, the consciousness what, is there with, with, with or without humans. It's just how um, human consciousness interacts with it. Um, it's just at such a higher, more effective level than any other thing that we've come across. So the, the, the question in my mind is, uh, going back to the, the, the theme of spiritual hustle and why we started it, um, had to do with consciousness, like uh, discussions that elevate people's consciousness so that, you know, we can peer beyond like uh, the veil of, of this illusionary, illusionary world and see reality for what it's for, what it really is. Um, 
how, how does your course help people to elevate their consciousness to become more aware, more conscious of reality? Um, yeah, I think the very first video um, um, that I talk about really kind of sets the stage for that because um, we have to lay the foundation, the basically form the, the baseline for um, the rules to the game and how the game's actually being played and what game we're actually even playing mm -hmm. because there is a game going on. There's a couple of games going on. We have to play both of them. And um, um, the, the first thing that we have to start with, we, if we're going to start at the bedrock of all of this is to understand what truth is. And right. when we look at truth, there's only one truth, one true truth, but there's four different perspectives that you can actually perceive this truth from. And um, one of the perspectives that allows us to go from this uh, dual nature to a non-dual nature, recognizing that the uh, subjective nature of the individual and the objective nature of the collective is actually one and the same. And th there's this dividing line between these two things that we think there is, but there's actually not. Um, and that dividing line between the individual and the collective is the fact that in order for you to, in order for me to actually know what you're thinking, Anthony, what you're feeling, you have to tell me that. And so we think that there's, uh, that, that means that there's a separation there and that's called non-duality, but uh, uh, that's called duality, um, but there's not. And so when we look at truth, there's, there's this aspect of the individual who has to be truthful in how they think and feel to other people. They have to be able to express their thoughts and feelings in such a way that is in alignment with objective reality. So how you're actually feeling right now and how you're actually thinking right now. And if you're able to do that, then you actually bring the subject, the subjective nature of thoughts and feelings into the objective because you're being absolutely truthful in that expression. And we do that because when we find out over the course of the course is that uh, lying is just not effective. It's the royal road to chaos. It leads to failure. It leads to quit. It leads to a lot of pretty much, it, it's pretty much the author of all of our pain, really, um, at the end of the day. So when you talk about su uh, subjective reality, um, you're, you're basically, from your, your brief description that you just did right now, so the subjective reality is the reality like within you, right? Yes, correct. What, what you feel, what you see with, within you. Um, and, and it's not until you share that with the rest of the world do, do you have a chance to kind of like um, look at your perspective from the light of other people to see like, you know, maybe, um, maybe you were looking at things like incorrectly or maybe you were looking at things from a perspective of fear or whatever. So you weren't looking at it um, as it is in reality, right? So by sharing your objective feelings and inward, inward, inner world in regards to a certain topic, you, you allow that to be kind of like embedded by other people so that you can learn from it and get closer to the truth. Is that, mm -hmm. is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and it and it, it basically turned it evolves into a game of language of words and grammar, being able to express how you're feeling, and then you start seeing when you do that truthfully for uh, for a while, you start seeing weird, very odd um, similarity. Like things start to occur that, and and you start to to see that your feelings are like they occur in association with certain events. 
And so I just give an example because I'm not yeah. expressing this properly, but um, I get angry when I see things that are wrong. That, and that's the nature of anger. <laughs> when you're angry, something is going wrong. wrong. And, and it, so it's like um, I saw a person walking down the street and their collar was, was flipped up. Like half of it was up and the other half was down. And it wasn't on purpose. It, it was just messed up. And I see that and I get this feeling in my stomach. And, and everyone just goes and like, you know, the, the modern day association with this feeling is, oh, you just have OCD. And it's like, no, that's not what OCD is. Okay. What is occurring is I'm angry because that color is wrong. And I can let it go. That's no problem. I am in complete control of my emotional state. But I'll feel better if I go up to that person and say, hey, your color messed up. And I said that. And then he goes, oh, thanks. And then he fixed it. That's all that anger is doing is telling us that there's something wrong. And then, and then when we realize that we can use our feelings to, to help, help us actually navigate this reality, um, suddenly feelings aren't something that we try to avoid. They, they become something that, that, that we shift to the forefront. Mm. And, um, and then we can actually use these things to, to help guide us through uh, reality. So but basically what you're saying is the, the worst thing anyone could do is kind of like uh, suppress or ignore their feelings because they're, they're telling you something that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. They're telling you something, some sort of change you need to make in your direction in life um, in order to, to make you happier. And if you ignore those feelings, then the issue will never get addressed. Yeah. We spend a lot of time aligning our conscience and understanding what these feelings are. And then, and we do that so that when we, um, actually utilize these emotions, these feelings, um, they don't, they don't trip us up. Like we actually know why we feel the way that we feel when, when we feel certain ways. And we understand why emotions exist. We understand why thoughts exist. We understand their relation to action in the real world, because that's the only reason why emotions exist. It's the only reason why thoughts exist. Uh, emotions exist to get us in motion. And it doesn't matter why we're getting in motion. It doesn't care about that. A dog doesn't care about why it's chasing a car down the street. It doesn't know what it's going to do when it, if it ever catches that car. It just knows it feels darn good when it's chasing this car down the street. So it doesn't care about why. And that's what you, you can live off of that. You know, I know a lot of people, especially people like in my group, we always say, oh, people, you know, feelings, uh, facts don't care about your feelings and feelings are, are bad. And it's like, like if you don't understand them, then certainly they, they, they'll really trip you up. But, but if, if I can motivate myself to move without even having a why behind that movement, that is a powerful force that I need to understand and, and, and control because then I can utilize that thing to uh, motivate me because motivation, that's just another word for emotion, motive, motion, um, getting in motion. Um, I can use that. And, and then also, and then when I align it with an actual thought which is like your reason why you're moving which is the only reason why really we have thoughts is to in case you're you're actually chasing a car down the street and you're not a dog and you go wait why am i doing this like let's not waste energy on something that doesn't make any sense so that that's what um that's what thought gives us but it's all in relation to actually taking action in the real world and that's what success is all about taking action in the real world it doesn't matter how many times you fail at doing something as long as you don't quit you will succeed or die and that's the wonderful thing about our reality you know, get rich or die trying. Like nothing's deeper than that. <laughs> There's no other choice. So let, let, let me ask you, uh, I got two questions in my mind. One, one is that um, when, when someone is trying to create like a business, for example, right? Um, if I, the way I interpret what you say, said is 
that it, it's the emotion that should be like the driving force behind setting up that business. Secondary mm -hmm. is maybe using like understanding facts in regards to like tactical strategy uh, to set that business up and move it forward. But emotion is like the driving force behind that, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be an, an analytical driven person because that won't give you like the emotion and the passion to carry through the hard times, right? That's kind of like your, your, your toolkit, but what's driving you is the emotions and you need to pay attention to those emotions in order to re, you know, redirect your, your trajectory towards the right um, direction but it's the emotions that you should be leaning on um, mostly as your main guiding force. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So there's a lot. So you kept saying drive, driving, drive, drive, intention, purpose, pursuit. All of these mean the same thing. It's motion without, you know, a reason why you take the yeah. reason why, and that's your goal. And that's at the end of the road. You know, what's your goal? I want to make a million dollars. Okay. Well, you know, that means you need to make a hundred dollars an hour, 24 hours a day for 365 days. That's, that's about the same number. Um, and so, you know, once you have the goal set, it's the pursuit. Okay. It's just like and the persistence. Yep. And, and pursuit, persistence, the same damn word. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to say damn at you. Like I was just, it, I, I've been doing this over and over again with pursuit, persistent purpose. They're all the same word. Um, it all, it all means that you're pursuing this thing and it doesn't matter. Here, let me tell you a story about, um, this hunting dog when I went hunting like last month and got super sick out there. So this dog was amazing. It was a hunting dog. It was just the cutest dog you'd ever see. And all it wanted to do was hunt. It, it's all it wanted to do, okay? And so it's just sitting there. It's being the nicest dog ever because it knows the nicer it is, the higher the probability that it'll be allowed to hunt. And so it lets you pet him, do all that stuff. And then once it knows that it gets to go hunting, it starts running around in circles. It gets so excited. And then it stops itself from keep doing that so that it can get it harnessed up and start uh, get driven over to where the, the hunt is. And then when he gets let out, he runs out for in front of the, the truck for hours, just constantly going, sniffing, smelling, looking for things, pursuing, it's pursuing, it's pursuing, okay? And then one, at, like at probably at like three in the morning, when it's, it's so exhausted, it's done. Like you can see that it's shaking, it doesn't, it just, it can't keep going. It's, it's killing itself just to stay out there for the hunt. And then it gets a whiff of something and then it darts into the forest and then we're using the GPS to track it. And then we start hearing the barks and it doesn't stop barking, bark, bark, 15 minutes straight. Just, just, just yell out loud for 15 straight minutes. You'll see how exhausting that is. And this dog is doing that because it has cornered a, um, a boar and it knows that it needs us to locate it and it's pitch black. So it just keeps barking until it, so we can locate where it's at. And um, we get there, we, they, the guy, the head guy, he kills the hog, the boar. And then this is the craziest part. This is the part that I couldn't believe. So the boar is in the truck and the dog's sitting there. And you'd think that the dog would be very proud and excited. It caught the, it caught the boar, you know, it'd be nibbling at it. It's, it must be starving, you know, and it, and it, it, it earned this thing. It got it. But the dog, it's not even looking at the boar. It doesn't care about the boar because the dog is addicted to the hunt, to the pursuit. It doesn't even, it knows it's going to get fed. You know, it's not worried about that. He just knows that he's got a couple more hours here 
Like, let's go back to hunting, guys. That's all that it's looking at. He's like, he's like I don't care that we got this thing. I want another thing. Mm. That's the pursuit, okay? And we could utilize that and get addicted to the pursuit, the actual climb, the actual going towards things. Then it doesn't really matter what your goal is. Make it a million dollars, make it $10 million. As long as you don't quit and you get addicted to the hunt, to the pursuit, then who cares, you know? Then who right. cares what you're going for? Just make sure that once you get it, find a new goal, um, you know, regroup yourself, have a vacation, and then find a new goal to, to shoot for. Because it's, it's in between those times of not having uh, a, something to pursue that, uh, that it is concerning. So basically what you're saying is it's not so much like the outcome of what you're, you're That's pursuing. Relevant, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's the process you, you go through, right? That, that exactly. you need to fall in love with. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and that makes a lot of sense because if you're tied to an outcome, then you're always, you're always tying yourself to a certain way of the, the things have to be that they have, they have to unfold. But if, if you're, loving the process and not really focus on the outcome, then it opens up a lot more possibilities as to what can occur. Yeah. And then you don't get down on yourself ever for right, not, right. not attaining it in X yeah. amount of time, you know, because right. it, it's like, Oh, whatever. I'm just doing my thing. I'm doing the best I can do. That's know? right. And, and when you get down on yourself, like the, you know, that can create like a incredible downward spiral. So, which leads me into my second question, like emotions are, are critical, you know, falling in love with the process. What, what would you, you suggest to people, and there seem to be a lot of people these days that have this depression, right? Is depression an emotion, like within your definition? And what is that emotion telling you? Yeah, and so- how do you, how do you get over that? So depression is just, um, is just the, the, the lowering of spirits. So like when a tire is depressed, it, it shrinks because it's, it, the air is being sucked out of it. Um, and and so if you think of expanding consciousness um, as the feeling of love, which is what it is, um, then the opposite of love is fear. And so fear will, this feeling of fear is not a good feeling. Okay. And that's consciousness contracting. And so what you actually try to do when you're experiencing a whole lot of fear is you don't want that feeling anymore. So you do whatever you can do to not have that feeling. And that means having no feelings. Um, and the thing about fear is that it's a, it's, it, it's a, it's a feeling that helps you actually just pay attention to something. So if you're in the middle of the woods and you hear a crack over there, it's the fear that's going to make you go, what the heck is that? You know, am I, am I in danger? You know, so fear is not something we always talk about, you know, there's nothing that a human does that is something that you should avoid. But when you're feeling fear for months on end, years, you just don't want that feeling anymore. And then what that means is you're getting, getting rid of your emotional state. You're getting rid of an, an entire aspect of consciousness because it hurts you because it's hurting. But fear is just telling you, Hey, there's something that you need to pay attention to. So if you have fear about a bill that you have to pay, you know, the fear is just telling you, this is what you got to pay attention to because you got to pay this bill. Okay. And as long as you're not running away from that feeling, um, then, um, then you're fine to have fear. It's okay. it, it doesn't matter what, what emotional state, whether it's a, a good feel, a positive feeling or a negative feeling, as long as you use those positive or negative feelings to motivate you to take action, to, to pay that bill, to go, all right, I'm going to look at this. All right, my credit score is, is crap. You know, I'm going to look at my credit score and figure out how to get it better. Um, even though it, that's, that's a fearful experience, you have to engage that feeling. But if you're trying to avoid it, what that's actually creating is, is you shutting off an entire aspect of your consciousness. And one of the most um, 
um, uh, dynamic of the aspects of consciousness because this is the one that can get you in motion immediately without even having a reason why. And you're trying to get away from those feelings. So that's what depressed people do. And then they go to the doctor and the doctor gives them SSRIs, um, opioids that literally make you make it so they don't feel anything. That's why I never understood um, opioids um, whenever I was experimenting with drugs was because, hey, this, you know, you take this drug and you don't feel. So that means that you can't get an erection. That means it's harder to go to the bathroom. That means it's because all of those things are feelings <laughs> and you're getting rid of these feelings. And, and then it, so it makes me hard. It's hard to understand opioids. But then you hear that somebody's addicted to them and you're like, like oh, because you're afraid of the feeling. And the, and the feeling is going to come back 10 times stronger after you get off the opioids. So you want to stay on them to suppress that feeling, suppress the feeling, suppress the feeling. Uh, crazy. Hmm. But, but yeah, that, that's what depression is, is you trying to use you basically contracting yourself um, like the like the tire as opposed to expanding the tire. You're contracting to get away from an aspect of consciousness because that's what life is. Um, aspects of consciousness, thoughts, emotions and actions are just experiences. OK, right. That, that's how we separate ourselves from them, because they're just experiences like, oh, I went surfing the other day. OK, that's an action. That's just an experience. Oh, I had the feeling of um, I had the feeling of love for another. <laughs> It's like, that's just an experience. That's not you either. And same with your thoughts. But if you're cutting yourself off from an entire aspect of consciousness, then you're not expanding consciousness. Expanding consciousness is love. You're, you're going away from, from love. So, so, you're, so is it always fear that, that, that stops you from wanting to experience these emotions to cut you off from that part of the consciousness? Yeah, fear, fear is the contracting force for consciousness. And it leads to not feeling anything. And when you don't feel anything then you can't traverse this reality because you can't trust your eyes um in this reality okay so so someone exper like experiences something fearful uh that that feeling obviously is not a good feeling um instead of trying to understand what that feeling is telling them they're, they're trying to get away from it they're, they're trying to um uh, just ignore that feeling so so it's not like so it's, it's not like a heavy burden on them. So exactly. instead of dealing with what, what it's trying to tell them, they, they, they try to ignore it and push it away so that, that that burden is lessened. And by doing that, they were cutting themselves off from their own emotions, which is kind of like their, their, their internal GPS that tells them how to navigate this reality and what's true and not true, right? Exactly. And then that process leads to depression because they're mm -hmm. cut off from their emotions and they're connected connection to the to all of consciousness yep and and i associate very closely emotion with pursuit purpose intention drive all that uh -huh. stuff right you lose right. all of that when you lose your emotional state so now you have purposelessness now you have meaninglessness now you have no drive no no motivation it's the exact opposite and it's a horrible position to be in and Really, what and again, that fear is just trying to tell you what you need to pay attention to right right now. It doesn't yeah. matter whether the emotion is positive or negative. So, for example, I was walking um, for the new year. I did a I walked the entire my entire island out of Palms, and um, within the first mile of walking, I stepped into a puddle, <laughs> and it was a, it wasn't exactly the warmest day ever. And I hate stepping in puddles because I got nasty foot fungus and everything, and I know that my need to keep my feet dry, and just stepping into that puddle and being like the the first thought was like it's like ah it was just anger because because i and i know my anger my anger comes when something is wrong something wrong happened it is wrong for me to step in puddles when i don't like my feet being wet 
and my feet are wet now. And so now I have anger and now I have to make a decision. Do I turn back at mile one, quit? Or do I utilize this, this burst of energy and, and use it to just walk faster, walk harder, step, stomp my feet a little bit. Mm. Use your emotions, whether it's positive or negative, just use it. Once you accept that you're not quitting, that quitting is, is out of the question, then you know, I'm not talking about failure, okay? You're going to fail. Failure is how you learn what the right thing to do is. What I'm talking about is quitting. The only way you lose is if you quit. And that's not happening anymore. I'm, there is no reason to ever quit. That, that walk could have been 30 miles yesterday. It wouldn't have mattered. I was going to do it. I was going to complete it. And, and the, the idea that, that me stepping in, in the uh, puddle was not going to be a factor in making me consider quitting because quitting was added. To, it, it wasn't an option. So what else could I do with this feeling of anger? Well, I could just use it to be angry and have that little proverbial chip on my shoulder. Use that. That's the problem with, with our culture and society these days is, is we have a, a very big fear of negative emotions. Mm. And it's like, you can use these negative emotions just as well as you use these positive emotions. You know, mm. each one's just as motivating as the other one. So in, in that case, the negative emotion is, is energy, right? And you, and you channel that negative energy to make your, into your, your walk to give you more um, purpose in that walk, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. And, and what was that easy to, to do? It's not an instantaneous thing. You know, the, yeah. the, the immediate first thought is I got to go back. I got to change my socks. Right. Which, um, which means you're quitting. The yeah. first thought is I'm going to quit. Yeah. And then, and then it was, then you have to do, then you have to use your reason skills. Your, yeah. That's your thought and be like, wait a second, I can't quit because quitting's not an option. So if I can't quit, then what else is there to do? And then it's like, the only other thing to do is use the, this, this frustration to get me to walk faster, to get my legs mo moving, to get them stretched out a little bit more because they were a little tight in, in the beginning of the walk. But then once I was angered and my, my steps started stretching out, then uh, this, um, everything felt better. So how is like um, the idea of, of quitting not being an option, how does that tie into the general theme of your course, like truth? And, and the importance of truth? Um, well, I tried very closely to tie success into this course so that it's mm -hmm. useful for everybody else. And the number one thing, number one indicator of success is, is persistence, as you say. So, right. um, and persistence just means never quitting. And that's all, that's all that matters. And so like, you know, I use the example of my little sister. She was, uh, she's a professional dancer in New York right now. And when she was starting out dancing, when she was 10, you know, she wasn't that good. She was um, never specially chosen or selected for anything. And she just kept showing up for dance class three, four, five days a week. And she kept showing up. And then, and then they had, you know, they had the tryouts for the School of the Arts. And they were like, oh, you should try, Alex, but, you know, don't expect to get in. She gets in. And then the next thing you know, they have this um, tryouts for the governor's school. And they're like, Alex, you should try out, but you're probably not going to get in. And then she gets in. And then um, she's got this new world dance thing with scholarship at University of uh, Florida. Um, and they're like, oh, Alex, you should try out, but you're probably not going to get in. And she gets into that. And then, and then you're just watching this progress. And then she goes, then she says to me, it's like, I think thinking about moving from Miami to New York to become a professional dancer. And, and I'm like, 
I'm like, Alex, there's no way you're not going to be a professional dancer in New York if you go. You, every time you, you do this thing, you just don't stop. Like, I don't know why you're dancing. I don't understand. But, but there's no, nothing's going to stop you because you never quit, you know? And, and so it was just like, so she goes there and she gets a, she's the first person in like three years to get a, um, you know, part of a company in New York from, from that school. And it's like, that wasn't surprising because what else was there going to do? She wasn't going to stop dancing. So you just make it inevitable, mm. you know, especially when we're talking about things that, that don't have like an expiration date, like your financial success, you know, right. like my little sister, you know, if she was 35 and still not a professional dancer, um, I'd be, I'd be concerned, but she would probably just become a dance teacher at that point, which is just as successful. Um, but the, but when it comes to things where you could work into your fifties and sixties and seventies and who cares, you know, then it, then it becomes, then you're adding decades upon decades of, of, uh, failure that, and failure is how we learn what the right thing to do is. So you just, there's just no way that you won't be. And that's the other thing too, is, is just focus on one singular thing because, you know, and that, that goes back to the not quitting thing. So if you select, all right, I'm going to be a, um, you know, I'm going to do a Shopify store online. It's like, okay, then that's what you're doing for the next rest of your life. Once you decide this thing, you, that's what you're doing for the next rest of your life, period. Okay. Because, you know, Anthony, you and I have both done a lot of jumping around and, and that has not, that has not brought much success in our lives. It has brought a that's lot true. of, a lot of broad knowledge, broad and general knowledge, but, but, you know, select one and then just do it until you die. Yeah. I think that's uh, Dan Pena's main point. Do one thing. Yeah. Go, going back to my question about um, not quitting in its relation, not quitting the same thing as persistence. Um, so the, the relation between persistence and truth um, is, is evident now, now that I think about it, because you need to be persistent in order to find the truth, whatever the truth is for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's always changing because you're always in different situations and you need to find the truth of, of, of um, what's going on in that situation. So I, I think having heard you talk, like I've, I've been able to answer that, that initial question, persistence and truth are, persistence is required in order for you to find truth, mm -hmm. in order for you to be successful right which, which is basically the same thing yeah and, and we could success. even we could even talk about that in relation to um breaking down the barrier between the individual and the collective the subjective and the objective because um the first time you try to express your feelings to somebody else you know the first time you did you probably had a traumatic event you said you probably said yeah. to some some kid in the second grade hey what you did made me feel bad and the kid called, probably called you gay or something and then, and then you're like, well, I'm never going to let anyone know my feelings ever again, because that didn't go over well. <laughs> and, and now you have to work through those defense mechanisms as you're trying to express your feelings to other people when you're 30 or 40, um, which is, is still not going to be a fun ordeal. Like, and you have to like work that with somebody. But the, the, the biggest thing is to try to find some, the best thing you can do is try to find somebody who is sovereign, who understands what you're trying to do and trying to help you along the way, as opposed to somebody who's trying to combat you. Um, and that, that goes into what we were talking about before this video about, um, or about before starting this podcast, which was uh, about coherence and all of that, finding people who you can have dialogues with to where you can, where you can break that subjective objective barrier with somebody. So to talk a little bit more about that, 
like breaking the subjective objective barrier. So I think what you're saying is that, that that's another way of saying um, two people having a conversation where they're both learning from each other, they understand like what the other one's talking about, and there's a synergy that uplifts both of them, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's yeah. what you're referring to. Yeah, synergy is a good word for that. Um, because you're, you're, you're taking two individual minds and you're creating a new whole that is stronger than the two individual parts. Mm. Like it, it's more impressive, more effective. Um, I try to like to equate it to like uh, jazz or um, it'd be like two rival football teams coming together and saying like, this is what we do, you know, and, and actually really working with the other rival football team and telling them like, this is what we do. This is our little trick here. And this is how you can overcome it. And then them also being equally open about their weaknesses and strengths to you and saying, this is how you can overcome our weaknesses and strengths. The only reason why rival football teams never do that is because one team will be untruthful to the other, other team. And then you have two teams that have to combat each other to see who's better and to find out where the weaknesses are. But there's a much more, that's game A. That, remember when we were talking about, uh, I was saying that we had to play, that there's two games that we're playing. That's the first game, the rival football teams going at it. That's, that's, you know, that you probably experience more of that in um, your field of business and all of that stuff, because there's only one promote, only one person can get the promotion, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so there's limited resources and you have to fight and compete for that stuff. But then there's this other game, which is the innovative game, where these two rival teams come together and they work together in order to improve both of their strategies together. And um, that's the much more effective game. That's where we have to go figure that game out. And you can only do that with certain people. You can't do that with everybody except a lot of people are incapable of becoming coherent. They don't know their film feelings and thoughts. Um, and then um, a lot of other people are, will only give you 85% of them themselves and leave the other, the, the key 15% out. Right. And, and um, I'm, I'm thinking about like what I've read from um, heart math. Heart math talks about like heart coherence, where, where the, mm -hmm. the heart is aligned with the, with the mind, the brain, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and in that state, um, we're, op we're more open to our innate wisdom. So you, you're basically talking about the, that, that process um, being, um, being externalized so that coherence that occurs among more than one person. Yeah, you um, can't, you can't. Basically, we'll say that the heart and the brain, we'll just call that, if you get coherence between those two things, you're a sovereign individual. Your okay. thoughts, your thoughts, your brain, and your emotions, your They're heart aligned. Are, are aligned. Okay. Um, the only way that you can have coherence with another individual is if that individual is sovereign as well. Yes. yes. Um, that, that's an excellent yeah. point, right? Yeah. You, you, otherwise, you're just, you just become like um, a teacher if, if the other person is open to learning. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and, or it just becomes like you you know, you, you disengage with that person. That's the only other option. It's disengagement. Yeah. Cause um, it, it, it rarely turns into a, a, the, the teacher thing wasn't a great example because, because you, it's not about intelligence who's smarter. Like it, it, because as long as you're going into the conversation with, I know nothing. And so let's work from, from that position first. Um, and it, then, then you, you have two people, but, but it's the disengagement. It's the, um, Oh, you're saying something right now. And it sounds like you're talking down to me because you just insulted my uh, example, like I did to you. And then that makes you shut off and, and disengage, as you said, yeah. um, because, because, you know, you didn't totally agree with what I just said. And it's like, it's like, well, 
you know, it's not the process. The process is to make something better, a better whole out of both of our thoughts. And, um, and in order to do that, sometimes uh, some things have to be, you know, the example is like jazz, you know, um, when two people are playing jazz together, it's not that they're in constant coherence. Sometimes they're, they're battling each other, engaging each other to see if, you know, if the other person can improve and catch up, you know, it's like, catch up, I'm playing faster. Can you keep up with me? And then they, they keep up for a little bit and then they, then they break the, the, the rhythm and go a little bit faster and then you get the, then you get the goosebumps um, because they're, they're hitting something that they would have never have hit if they didn't clash a little bit. And it's all about never shutting down. And then if you are shutting down or if you are in, in a place where um, you're, so, you're losing your sovereignty, you're losing that connection between the heart and the brain, um, for the other person to be like, hey, I don't know if you said something there that was right or wrong or what, just check <laughs> to make sure that you're still there all the way, perfectly open. Yeah. I mean, you're basically talking about like what I've heard uh, Jordan Peterson talk a lot that it, like if you're having an open and honest dialogue with someone, you, you risk, um, you risk offending them. There's no way around that. Right. And yeah. that, uh, you know, offending person is, is the same uh, relates to the same um, idea, like with the jazz, the jazz example you had, right. You like you, one guy's challenging the other, it's the same thing in that dialogue, right? Yep. And when someone feels offended, it's, it, they're, they're being challenged. So they expand their view or look at things differently, right? Yep. And I guess it always comes back to intent. Like in that open dialogue, as long as you're not out there to, you know, intentionally destroy the other person, um, then, and you're there to like engage in a dialogue and learn, um, I think that's important too. The intent of the of the two people that come together, right? Like mm -hmm. in the example of the jazz, like the uh, I assume that the players are there to like not to prove like one is can destroy the other, but to like have fun and, and push each other and, and to learn, right? Yeah, it could be like somebody could come into that position and be like, "I'm going to try to destroy you just right. to see if you can take it," and then um um and then really push them. And, and it looks like they're about to destroy them. Um, and that will force the other person who may not be as skilled to find whatever they need to find that you need to find in order to play better music to get there. And then because they have mm. no other choice, they're gonna be humiliated if they don't. And then they, ah, they do it. And then you're like, yes. And then the guy who is forcing the other guy is like, yes. And everyone, and it just blows up, you know? And right, just, but, but you know why that happens? That happens because the guy that's being challenged, even though the other one's attacking him and challenging him, he he's persistent. He never quits. And, yeah, he never exactly. quits. Right. Yeah. It's the people that quit that always come up with reasons why they quit and they make the other person the bad guy. Yeah. Even in that example, you're playing the trumpet. Right. And you're getting demolished by this person just overwhelming you with his with his talent and stuff. And and you go and you just stop blowing into the trumpet. And then you're like, you're like, oh, I slipped my finger to slip. You, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's quit. You quit. You quit. <laughs> get, the, get your mouth back on that piece, you know? <laughs> exactly. Again, highlighting the importance of persistence. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you another question. You talked about coherence, the coherence uh, that makes you a sovereign individual, the coherence between one, uh, two or more people. Um, we had talked earlier about uh, coherence being the same thing as, as correspondence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Hermic principle of correspondence. Can you explain that to me? Because I'm still not quite getting the, yeah. the, the fact that they are the same thing. I'm actually, I, I, I'll pull up just the, the definition of the principle of correspondence just so we have it. Um, right. So 
So the second principle of natural law, the principle of correspondence states that that which is above is like that to which is below, that which is below is like that which is above, uh, the very large in totality, the macrocosm, the collective, uh, and the very small individual units, the, very, the small individuals that comprise the whole, the microcosm, are mere reflections of each other, as also as within, so without. And um, so the, and I don't want to just read off my notes because I, I know I've answered this question in my notes. I want to, I want to play the jazz, you know, even though it won't come out perfect because we're going to make a, a whole new novel thing here. Just pretending you're mild Dave's right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so when you have coherence, what is occurring is that you've aligned your thoughts and your emotions uh, such that there is no contradiction between them, them and you've aligned your thoughts and emotions to your actions in the real world. In this case, your actions are the words that you're speaking with this other individual. Um, as long as you're entirely truthful about what your thoughts and your emotions are to that individual, um, what you're actually expressing is the, you're breaking down the mirror reflection. So you're saying this isn't a mirror reflection anymore. These are identical things. My subjective reality and the objective reality where my words come out from um, are the same thing. And what you're creating, that's coherence right there. And if you're able to do that with another individual who's doing the exact same thing to you, what you're creating with the dialogue and the language and the communication um, is coherence. You're breaking down, because um, the, the whole point of the principal correspondence is saying, hey, you know, it's gonna feel like there's this individual and then there's this collective other, and this individual is you, and then this other is everything else. And it's gonna feel like these two things are separate. We're just here to remind you, as above, so below. And in that one little meme, it's to remind you, those two things are the same thing. And let's not forget that. So that's why it's the second thing that we, we remind ourselves. Let's not forget that just because, it, just because we have to use our language or any form of communication in order to express what's happening inside of our heads and our hearts, um, that doesn't mean that, um, that these two things are different in any way. They're not, they cannot be. You know, we look at the collective and we say there's 7 billion people here on earth and then there's me. These two things must be separate. And it's like, how could they possibly be separate? So then you're saying that those 7 billion people are the same, but you're separate from them. But then from another individual's perspective, one individual from the 7 billion that you're looking at, that individual is looking at these collectives that includes you and, and includes, includes you. And, and you're saying that, that somehow this collective and individual is two different things. It can't be. Because the, once the perspective changes, you see that, that, that then suddenly the collective changes and now, and now it's just you that's separate. That can't work. So in, in that example, going back to like law of correspondence has below, so above. So it, can, we, can we view the individual as, be, like, as being below, the collective as being above? Not in relation to one is better or another, but just to utilize that analogy. And, and the only time, and in order for the below to be the same as above, the subjective reality internally has to be shared with the with people outside you with the objective reality right so the, the in, in that example like so, so far does that does that jive with you like the below could be the individual the above could be the collective that that's certainly what it is that's okay. certainly what it is period yes but that is true only once people learn how to communicate, understand language, 
have some sort of ability to have the same definitions uh, and so that they can communicate their subjective world to someone else, right? Like all yeah. those rules have to be in place in order for that to be true as a below, so above, right? Yeah. So in the scenario where people, like you can see in society today, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different portions of the population, like having like ideas that are um, at odds with other people in the population. Like mm -hmm. you can see pro-Trump people that hate Trump, right? That there's a like a very vivid example of that. In that scenario, um, everyone's there's two groups and their subjective reality is completely different, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, they can't utilize the skills required to have um, a debate, a real debate, so where they can throw ideas out and, and learn from each other. Yeah. Right now, they're, they're like society, well, large portions of society do not have that ability, right? Correct. Well, it's always been that way, yeah. Well, it's always been that way. It's it seems actually be, the, it the seems issue is extreme. It, the issue is, is that there's extreme. more people that are able to um, um, that are able to think critically. The more people than at any point in human history. Um, that's right that's actually the that yeah right now yeah. Right. I mean, just just simple simple numbers. I mean, uh, there's just way more people now than at any point in human history. So obviously, there's more people that can than, can think, think critically. critically. At any point in human history, and these guys are able to just flip on a fifty-dollar logic Logitech and speak to millions of people. Yeah. Um. And so, so suddenly, a whole bunch of people are being exposed to these critical thinkers, these integral thinkers, thinkers that utilize pieces of of all sorts of different um, um, paths to in intellect and intelligence, um, and are able to speak to large bodies of people successfully. And that's an issue for a number of reasons. And so let's separate out these two types of groups of people. Um, you have the critical thinkers. Those are the people that just ask questions and they, they go into the, the situation basically at, at the point, just like Socrates, they say, I don't know anything. So I'm just going to pay attention and ask questions. And then if, if something doesn't, doesn't jive right, doesn't make me feel right because something was said was wrong, I'm going to reject that and then, and unless you can correct it. But then there's this other group of people who seem to have all the answers memorized. Mm. And the problem is, is that some of these answers are wrong. Wrong. And, um, and that's, that's actually really the difference between not having an ideology and not having an ideology. The ideology is um, you have all these answers memorized and they're in relation to whatever you believe, whatever the ideology is. And the issue is, is that that's how our schools are. Our schools are built for memorization. So you raise your hand when you know the answer and you know the answer, you go, like, what's two plus two? And you go four, you know, whoever can answer the question fastest, you know, wins, you know, they get the, they get the better grade. They feel better because they get the, their test completed faster. Um, then there's this other group of people where that doesn't, you know, that's not very important. That's not very interesting to them having, having answers memorized that they already know, like they know what they already know. That's not interesting to them. So how do we get to the, the stuff that we don't know? And um, that's where the critical thinking comes in. And they don't teach critical thinking in school anymore. So you have a bunch of people who think that they know what the answers are immediately. And then when they're given a, a different set of values, um, it's just a whole bunch of, you know, you're, you've, you've experienced programming. It's just a whole bunch of if then statements. 
Um, if they say this, then you say this, if they say this, then you say this, that's, that's how a computer thinks. That's not how humans think. Humans think by asking questions. And so they're creating a bunch of programmed computers with if then statements. And then, um, but then there's this whole other way to think that, um, you know, if you're in a very specific situation, um, it may not appear as you may not appear to have the answer as quickly, but when you're in a situation where there is no correct answer, when the, the correct answer is, is very nuanced and convoluted, you know, um, they're more effective in those situations. So the if then statement people, they can answer two plus two very quickly, four, but they can, how are they going to answer 29 times 64? You know, you're gonna actually have to do the long multiplication. Right. Unless you have the answer memorized. But that sort of memory, that, that takes a lot. That's a big burden. So I, I think um, what you're saying is um, because a lot of people lack critical thinking, that, that that has contributed to this antagonism between different groups in society now. Yeah, because the if-then people, you know, it's like a computer. You know, there, there's all of those memes and jokes where, like, if you throw a wrong answer at these people, like, they just, the system breaks down. And, and then it needs a whole system reboot. And, and they need to do the, the blue screen face and everything because you've said something that runs counter. You've, you've asked a question that they don't have an answer to. And that just right. freaks them out because they don't, they don't critically think. Whereas the critical thinkers, they get excited when, they don't, when, when, when there's something that they can ask a question about. And they go, oh, wait, what is this about? Like, I want to know about that. Whereas the if-then people, they their programming cracks it, it, it there's a bug in the system when they get something that they don't they're not aware of right so that's a really interesting point so if we go back to what you talked about earlier about um how to be successful in, in society um doing whatever you want to do truth is an important critical factors uh being true truthful about your, yourself, your feelings, your emotions, and being truthful about the environment so you can react uh, in an appropriate manner. Uh, persistence uh, is also critical because that, that's what keeps you going. And it's the emotion that, that drives that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to pay attention to the emotions because they, they are the driving force behind you and to understand why you feel certain ways at different times. Um, but the, the, the other aspect you're adding at this point is critical thinking too. So as you're feeling the different things, you're, it's important not to, um, to come to the same conclusion that your program conclusion uh, from the emotions, but apply critical thinking also to the emotions as, as they occur. So, so that's that what... The, the process of actually trying to truthfully express how you feel and how you think is going right. to cause you to um, experience critical thinking um, to a point where you will be proficient at it. Because right. somebody asks you, hey, how are you feeling? You know, the, the default programmed, if, if somebody asks you how you feel feeling, then you say good. Because if I don't say good to enough right, people, right. I'm going to find myself in a loony bin, you know, because that's our yeah. society and culture right now. Whereas somebody asks you, how are you feeling? And you go, you stop and you go, hmm. How am I feeling? That's critical thinking. <laughs> That's all it is. And then you have to put that into words. That's rhetoric. You know. So how much of your course covers like 
teaches people how to be critical thinkers and, and teaches people like about vocabulary so that they can like, communicate effectively with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We talk about that a, a whole lot. I had a, um, that's, that's towards the end of uh, section one, we definitely go over, um, definitely go over the process of, of experiencing random data structures and the process of putting the, those random data structures inside of your head, forming, f finding the uh, patterns in those random data structures, basically forming the, the random data structures into information, into informed matter, into matter that has meaning for you and, um, and how that works. And then also, and then in section three, we talk about actual um, uh, reasoning skills, uh, breaking down uh, concepts from judgments to um, actual arguments, because the only reason why you would, you would do this process of critical thinking is to do it with somebody else. Because you, you have all these judgments in your heads and you don't need to justify a damn judgment that's inside of your head. The moment that you have to justify a judgment is when you're trying to agree with somebody else or trying to get somebody else to agree with you. So you say the tree is tall. You don't have to prove that to anybody if it's just inside of your head. You're saying that tree looks tall. But then if somebody says, hey, that tree is pretty small. And you go, no, the tree is tall. We need to have an argument now and see what reality actually is. That's critical right. thinking. The, right. And that's a process of objectifying the, the inner world, the inner yes. thoughts. Yeah. Has to be done with other people. That's the right. problem with the microcosm and the macrocosm of um, the principle of correspondence is, is for some reason I kept interpreting that as like an atom and, um, and then like the universe itself, the microcosm, and the macrocosm. But really, when you talk about it, none of that stuff really matters compared to the individual and the collective, the microcosm being the individual yourself and the macrocosm being the collective, the group of every other human in your society. Yeah. Uh, and that, I, I, actually, that's the way I used to think about it, like as a below, so above the, the fact that the, the geometry of the universe is similar to the geometry of the atom, right? I never equated it to the individual versus the collective. Yeah, that certainly, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and that's that's really, like when you mentioned that to me the other day, like I had one of those aha moments, like, me too. yeah, this is like, did this actually make sense? Like this and completely it, different way to look at it where everything starts like making the whole, that whole principle makes so much more sense. And it, and it helps with the uh, teleology, the usefulness of, uh, of the word, you know, um, um, it, it, it makes, it makes the, it makes the, the principle useful, you know, cause it, yes, yes. I, I say that today. I'm like, I'm like, the atom is the same as the sun, you know, they're both, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of, uh, hydrogens and heliums. And someone's right. go, okay, how's that useful? And I'm like, good point. Uh, but yeah. now it's like, it's incredibly useful. Now I, I can use this for communicating with other people and being like, being like, no, like I, like the sovereign, I have to break down this barrier. I have to let you know how I think and how I feel and, and, and do it in such a way that, that I, I can objectify it for you. Make it extremely truthful, even though it's still coming uh, symbolically because that's what language is. Right. So if, going back to, like, I think my original, like one of my original questions at the beginning, um, which was how will this course help you to like peer behind the veil, basically become more enlightened. And I understand that truth will lead you to enlightenment, but in a very pragmatic tactical way, 
how how can you, the material that you've put together make me enlightened or move me toward that direction? Well, I mean, the first thing is we have to, well, let, let's work on, on some definitions because, because obviously, you know, this course, if you don't do anything with this course, then, you know, other than just looking at it and go, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and then move on with your life, continuing to be who you are, um, whatever that is then obviously it's not gonna help you with enlightenment. Yeah. But just, just the fact that the first thing that we talk about is breaking down uh, duality and making it non-dual and have starting that in the entire course from that perspective, as opposed to whatever the millions of perspectives that every other individual has, starting there, that'll help you on your path to enlightenment. And in fact, even when we talk about the mind, we talk about enlightenment, um, the, the actual paths to enlightenment and how you actually um, uh, get there. Like what are the paths to enlightenment, the paths to enlightenment, because they're not very well expressed and they have to do a lot more with experiencing your shadow than what people um, often talk about. But really that, that's getting less and less common. Most people really only focus, uh, serious people really only focus on the shadow because we, we already know all the good stuff about ourselves, right? And we already know how shallow that is you know and then it's like well if that's all there is to know and, and really the definition of enlightenment just being to enlighten the mind um to make the mind which is all more um my mind includes emotions and actions anthony and um and so that, that's all human consciousness and um and, and to enlighten it to 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 make it more to shine light on it to make it more um accessible and understanding and well, so that, I, mean, that means we gotta go into the shadow to do that right Actually, from my perspective, it's it's like quieting the mind, getting rid of the mind, so that you so that you're completely in touch with with, with your heart mindfulness. Emotions. Mindfulness, yes. yeah, yeah. Getting out of the mind. I've I've read a lot of not a lot, but certain people uh, describe that the the fall of man was really the fall from living in the heart to living in the head, right? Because once that happened. Um, we were cut off from our emotions and we've already talked about how important well, those emotions are. So that's, that, I mean, that, that's what we got to first define is, is, so what do you mean by mind? The chatter that's always going on in so, your head. So I call those thoughts. That's one third of the aspect of mind. So the first principle of natural law is the mind is all. That means includes everything that you're looking at. That means everything that you can ever experience constitutes mind. In other words, it could be consciousness itself. You can just, you can entertain, change those words. So that includes, the mind includes, for my definition, uh, emotions and actions in the real world as well. Because, you know. So, so the mind includes, and your definition includes the heart. Yes, exactly. So, but when I talk about thoughts, then I'm talking about that chatter, the little voice inside of your head and all that stuff. And when I say mindfulness, that means focusing on whatever you want to focus on, whatever you think, your awareness, essentially. And okay, so, so, that, yeah. so by that, that de definition, what I'm talking about is how can you, of course, help a person to like quiet those thoughts so that you can feel the heart more, your emotions more. Because at the end, like you're saying, it's, it's emotions that we should be relying on to, to drive us uh, through our, our life and give us passion and purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So it's- Those it, two, uh, by the way, are feelings, by the way, passion and right, purpose. Right, right. So it's, to me, it's, it's, it seems like the, the Buddhist idea of mindfulness is critical because that gets you in touch with like really in touch with your emotions so that you can propel, like so that you can utilize those in, in a more powerful manner right yeah 
So yeah. quieting the mind, stopping that chatter enforces, like, um, gets you more in, in con contact with your emotions. So it's like, um, so how, how does your course like help that? Like, so, how, like, so for just, just to clarify, it's like, um, it's like, a, imagine you drink soda, like you, you drink six cans of soda every single day, you, you pour yeah. sugar in your coffee, you have you drink, uh, everything that you eat as is sugar, 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 sugar. And then you go and you try to taste a cup of tea that has no sugar in it. And you're like, this doesn't taste like anything. This is gross. Um, and then, but then you cutting off all that sugar, all the chatter, which is what that symbolizes. Um, and you cut off for it for an entire month. And then you go and you taste the cup of tea, which could be like a passion fruit tea. And you're like, whoa, this is really sweet. And there's no sugar in it. And like, you would have never been able to taste the, the subtleties of the tea, the subtlety um, of the tea, subtlety. I, I always come up with uh, good names for tea companies. Um, like uh, make a, a tea company that's that um, they, they only make uh, novel types of teas and you can right. call it novelty or specialty <laughs> anyway um, the point is is that um, when you clear your mind you're able to experience more subtle feelings and more subtle thoughts repressed yes. thoughts yes and and then you get to clear those as well and you clear those through critical thinking it's like oh why am I having this, this thought why does this thought keep coming up um, what is this all about and it's not really about answering the questions um, ultimately when it comes to critical thinking about your thoughts and emotions. Is so, you, so you're yep. saying critical thinking will help you stop that mind chatter? Um, well, when you have the, when you have the more repressed thought, when things become more subtle, as you, you focus your focus on your, whatever your awareness is, right. where, wherever it is. Um, so yeah, I guess we do talk about that in terms of time and attention. I don't really teach in the truth matters course, anything on meditation, or um, stuff like that, because this is the foundational stuff that you need before you can go into that stuff with any hope of having uh, success. So as you can see, like the, the underlying things are never quit. Okay, so then that's a good mentality to have before starting your meditation practice, before starting your business. Before starting anything. Yes, and so that, this is what this course is about, is the foundations by which we start on to basically guarantee success in whatever, you know, in going to the gym. It's like, oh, I have a never quit attitude. Now I'm going to start going to the gym. Not I'm going to start going to the gym and hopefully I create the discipline of never giving up. It's like, good luck. Right. So you've spent almost a year now, like pulling together the material for this course. Yeah. And I know that uh, the process of doing that has been uh, both a labor of love for you and um has tormented you at oh times. man yeah so at the end of all of that like how has this material changed you like the, the way you live your, your daily life the the biggest thing it did which was the we could talk about the most devastating part about yeah. it is well, when you become about that yeah when you've come tuned into your emotions especially when you're coming from the uh uh less subtle more sociopathic realm where I was mm. coming from <laughs> and you realize you have this crazy realization six months into learning about emotions and feelings and everything that, um, and wh what was that? Um, the crazy realization is that, um, wait a second, other people have feelings too. <laughs> that was a crazy revelation. <laughs> yes. And so what that means is, is I have a, a certain amount of self-esteem. And so if I look at somebody else who, you know, is overweight or they look 
they don't look happy, they look depressed. I can feel their feelings now because like I'm looking at you, I know how you feel based on the your the expressions of your body. And 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 that is a devastatingly sad feeling to feel when you realize that other people have feelings and that you can feel those feelings uh, just by looking at them. And they may not be entirely accurate. Maybe that that morbidly obese person that just walked out of McDonald's is very happy with their life. But if I was that person, I would not be very happy with my life if that was the case. So, so what you're saying is it's, it wasn't a realization that other people have feelings. It was a realization that you could feel those people's feelings. Yes. Yeah. And then, and what that was, that made, that made going to museums and art shows and everything um, awesome because I could actually like look at art and go, I know the feeling or the thought that the artist is trying to make. And that, that was incredible. And then you realize that some artists are better at doing that than other artists. Right. And a lot of, you know, um, and then, and then you realize that some people, some artists, postmodern artists realize this. And so they're trying to make it so that you feel things that don't feel good. And that's not fun. <laughs> you want to look at art and get goosebumps. Um, not, not feel like I'm, uh, you know, but, um, but yeah, like you said, it, it's just, it's just crazy that, that, um, you're feeling these other feelings through um, your emotions. And then the next thing, suddenly you, you, you don't really care all that much about what you're seeing in reality. So the sights in reality are not nearly as interesting. It's, it's good. Being able to see things is helpful so that you don't crash your car into things, which is interesting enough. But then being able to feel how other people are feeling becomes suddenly way more important. And then you, you realize once you have that, coherence between the sovereignty and you're trying to be coherent with other people um and you realize that just the vast amount of sadness that there is in this world um even as like we're at the pinnacle of technology of of, of human success and um and not i hadn't yet put the two things together that that these that these sad feelings can be hyper hyper motivating because it, it goes from, oh, I'm so, I don't want to ever feel these feelings again. That's what I was saying to you, Anthony, remember? I was saying, I don't want to feel these feelings anymore. I don't want, I want to get away from them. They're scary. I don't like the feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and that was making me depressed. That was making me lose purpose. And then suddenly when you go, oh, I can feel other people's feelings and um, that hurts a lot. Well, now it becomes hyper motivating to hyper uh, meaningful to actually get this information out as quickly and as effectively as possible because, mm. because I can help people feel better if we can start to understand this emotional state, which is largely what section two is about. And we didn't even get into section three about the mind really that much. We talked about critical thinking, which was good. So do you think that the vast majority of people like in Western countries are, um, are sad, depressed? I'd say, um, well, I would say Western and I'd say the entire world, just for different world. reasons, yeah. um, aren't entirely happy, um, which is great when you bump into children because they're always happy. And then that just makes you feel bad because you know that they're going to go to a school system that's going to beat that shit out of them very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing too. And then, then you got to, it, it, it forces you to experience existentialism, which, which is awesome, you know, experiencing your authentic self and um, being, having some sort of angst about uh, death because, because death is the ultimate release. And, and that makes you sound so like, you know, edgy and all that stuff. And it's like, 
no, it's just, it's just, you know, you have to go in there and, and experience that and, and come to terms with it. And, and, it, and then it makes everything more fun. Cause it's like, get rich or die trying means nothing to anybody who hasn't actually thought about what it means to die a loser, you know, or die mm. or worse, die an evil person, die like a, a, a Nazi prison guard, you know? So, so far, uh, how, how many modules do you have in, in the truth matters course? Three, three modules. The, um, three. the, and can yeah, you go through like over like what's module one, what's module two and three? Module one defines the, uh, the game that's being played, the, the reality that we find ourselves in. So that would be the, the playing field, which is what I call truth, and then the rules that determine the game. So like the game of chess, for example, it's always the, the game that I, I go to. The game of chess doesn't exist without the rules. You erase the rules then, and a chess set, like, so there are individuals who don't know how to play chess. So they look at a chess board, they're sure that there's rules to the game. They don't know what it is. So they look at the chess set and they go, oh, that's an interesting thing to look at. That's just like how people who don't know the rules to reality, to our reality, look at reality. They go, oh, look at that mountain. That's interesting to look at. But if you actually know the rules that govern that game, suddenly chess itself looks much more interesting. You're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do with that piece. And, I, and you're watching somebody play and you can actually follow along. I know what they're doing there, right? And the more knowledge you have on the game itself, the more meaning you can actually expound upon them. And, um, and it's, the meaning is actually being expressed through feeling itself. So are the rules some of the things we talked about already, like the uh, truth, the importance of truth, um, mm -hmm. persistence, critical thinking? Um, critical, okay, so section one is the real general rules, the tendencies of our reality. So that we talk about the mind being all, right? right. And then this, this basically illusory two, this, this illusory individual collective separation, the principle of correspondence. So mm -hmm. now there's two things. It looks like there's two things, there's not. It's all an illusion. We always have to remind ourselves, even everything, everything from the mind is all on is an illusion. So correspondence has these two dots, essentially, right? And then vibration says these two dots are constantly in motion. So they're constantly spinning around each other. The yin and the yang, yeah. Exactly. And that's what gives you polarity, the yin and the yang, the positive creating the negative, the negative creating the positive. Um, and, then, um, and then everything else is just talking about polarity and, uh, and the, the vibration of these two things separating each other. So you know, these things, have a ten these things have a tendency to have a rhythm to them. These things have a tendency to cause and effect. And these things have a tendency to be, uh, to, to have a gender. One is positive, one is negative. One is black, one is white, one is male, one is female. Um, and then ultimately everything encapsulates it in us being able to recognize all that stuff based on our ability to pay attention, our ability to care about what we're looking at. So you stare at the, at the mind long enough. When I say stare at the mind long enough, stare at anything, tree, like um, Buddha, or you know, a microphone, anything. It doesn't matter what you're staring at. You will see these rules, these tendencies start uh, to, to um, uh, form. Because so so the, the rules or tendencies are basically um, the her hermetic principles. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Okay. And, so, and, so that's module one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we, I talk about expanding and contracting force for consciousness, love and fear. Right. Um, and I do a simple example about how, a, how love actually feeds our cells because it love releases dopamine, serotonin, uh, oxytocin, love hormone. Um, and our cells grow exuberantly well when those um, chemicals are present. And then when we're in a state of fear, those, um, those cells don't, our cells don't grow exuberantly well at all in those um, um, with uh, cortisol, um, uh, cytokinase, uh, histamines swimming around our, our inner world. Hmm. Um, and so you literally grow with 
um, expanding consciousness. Like you expand, you're, you physically expand with love, which is, I think it's cool. So that's section yeah. one. And then section two is defining conscious, consciousness a little bit more because we do do that in section one a little bit just so that they understand what I'm talking about. Um, but then we break conscious, we parse consciousness out into thought, emotion, and action. We say, what are the only experiences that you can actually have? It's like, well, you can do things or be things, you know, we're human beings. Um, so that's, those are actions. Those are verbs. And then it's like, well, I can feel things. I can feel my hand. I can feel the air, in my hand, and I can feel these weird things, sensations. You know, when I move my hand like this on camera, I start to get the feeling of embarrassment. So you can feel things. And then, and then the only other thing that you can do is have thoughts. And so those are the only three experiences that we can have. And so let's talk about these three experiences. And then, and that's the start of section two. And then section two only really focuses on emotion, what it means right and wrong, why, you know, always being right is not right. Um, because that means that, um, uh, it really means that you're not learning anything new. You're just doing the same thing. Right. You're saying two plus two equals four a million times over that's not expanding consciousness just because you're right all the time that's not correct you have that's to go in like being selfish exactly you have to go into the wrong you have to be wrong you have to fail in order to succeed just right. like uh, our immune system it doesn't know how to how to ki how to kill the uh, the invader you know so it just commits wrong action after wrong action after wrong action until it mutates itself properly to be able to actually attack the um the bacteria so um, in, in that section is that where you co cover critical thinking no that section two emotion is uh, our conscience, uh, we talk about our conscience as an actual thing that guides our, our, our decision-making processes when we don't know, when we don't critically, logically, if then know what the right thing to do is. We can use our feelings to tell us what the right thing to do is and what the wrong thing to do is. Um, and really the, the whole guide behind that is, is like, it's nothing, there's nothing magical here. It's just, there's just two concepts that you have to understand that, um, um, when, when you're choosing, so you have a decision to make and one's right and one's wrong. Um, you, you, if, as, so long as you make a freaking decision, you have a 50-50 chance of being right or wrong. Right. Okay. So the first thing is you have to make a decision. And the second thing is, is you only get that 50% percentage is if you move through that execution of the decision um, with right action. Mm. Or with confidence, excuse me, with confidence. Confidence. Yes. So, yes. so you can choose the right thing and be unconfident in that choice and you'll still be wrong. You'll mess it up. Okay. So what I'm saying is in order to trust your gut, when you make a decision, whether right or wrong, in order to get the 50-50 chance, whatever your decision is, you have to do it as if it was right. You have to do it mm. with confidence. You have to go, this is it. We're going to do it. We're going to execute it. And the moment I realize I'm wrong, um, we'll stop. But if I don't feel like that is, that is there yet, then we're not stopping. Um, and um, it, so, so is it as a confidence that ensures persistence? Yeah, because you're like, like, this is the right thing. We're going to keep yeah. doing it. Um, and then and then over the course, you know, like, let's say you're doing a batting thing and um, and the person is telling you to keep your elbow up like this. And you're like, OK, and you're keeping it up too high or something. Um, and you realize that you actually like your elbow down like this, you know you got to feel through that, but you can't just do the elbow up half acidly and then be like, be like, Oh, it didn't work. Sorry, boss. Sorry, coach. It didn't work. We're going to go back down to elbow down. It's like, you didn't even give it a chance. How do you know that it didn't work? Hmm. You know, you didn't even try. You didn't do it with any confidence. Um, and so that's, that's section two, really just explaining all of those, those things and how our feel feelings, uh, guide us through all that. Um, and then section three is, is um, thought. And we start off by first just reminding everyone, like, you're not your thoughts. 
And on top of that, you're not your feelings. These are just experiences, um, which is important because um, you have to attack those, your thoughts, your beliefs. Um, and if they survive the attack, you know, the last thing you want is to defend your, your beliefs simply because you feel like you're defending your own state of being because they are not you. They're just experiences. Right. Um, and, um, and then, then that allows you to attack your own beliefs, which is awesome because if, um, you know, you attack your beliefs and they actually get stronger if they're good. And if they're not so good, they'll get destroyed. And that's good. You don't want bad beliefs. You want, you want good beliefs, strong beliefs, beliefs that, that are, that'll help weather the storm as you transition into a new state of being, because that's really what beliefs are need, necessary for. That's what your, your imagination imagines an entire reality that's new from what your current state of affairs is. If you're not happy with your current state of affairs, um, you have to believe that you can change them. That's yes. it. And so, and that belief needs to be strong, all right? Because it needs to weather the storm of the reality of the situation, which is you are not this other person just yet, buddy. You know, you have to do things to get there. Um, so that's the, the first part. And then the second part is um, we talk about enlightenment, uh, enlightening, enlightening the mind. Um, we talk about the shadow a whole lot. We talk about what, what it means to be evil, why we're able to be evil, why we have to embrace our evil side, why we have to embrace failure, why we have to embrace um, um, being able to defend ourselves. We talk about martial arts being, you know, the best way, best path to that because you, you're able, you're not able to defend yourself. Like, like there's, Nietzsche pointed out that, that, that morals are, um, you know, they're a step towards cowardice. And that's fair because what they're saying is, is, oh, you're just trying to be just, just to protect yourself because you're a little scaredy cat. And he's not wrong unless you know self-defense. If you know how to defend yourself, and that starts with being verbally able to defend yourself, um, then, um, um, but then also having the, the ability to actually physically defend yourself in, this, in, in situations, then you become, it becomes much more easier to be a sovereign individual because you're more capable of saying, hey, you know, you're wrong, stop doing that. Right. Because that person will come at you with a bat and if you know how to defend yourself, you'll be able to defend yourself. If you don't, then you'll be more afraid to say, hey, person with the bat, stop swinging that at us. You know, <laughs> you'll probably just be like, oh, I've got to get around this guy because there's nothing I can do. He'll hit me with the bat. Yeah. You become a much more powerful, dangerous individual. Um, but you're also very dangerous if you don't know that you're capable of that stuff. And we talked about that as well, because you are capable. Everyone's capable of picking up a bat and be bashing someone's brains in. So you, you provide, so far we've covered a lot of like important topics, um, the, the emotions, the mind, how, you know, communicating effectively with um, people. Uh, all, all these are important traits being becoming successful, becoming happy, right? Mm -hmm. um, are, are you all going to have like any sort of like case study that, that looks at, okay, person A wants to become a successful entrepreneur in, in a specific business, right? And how he would use these principles and, and, and guidelines in order to become successful? Like, are you going to like be able to take people through a scenario? Because what I find is that the, it's, there's a lot of information here, right? Mm. But internalize that information and making um, effective use of it is, is sometimes challenging. And sometimes that case studies assist in that. It gives people an idea of how you pull everything together to achieve a specific objective. Yes. So the, the most interesting thing about starting these YouTube channel, uh, Justin's Mind Rants, um, is that's a great name, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
Mostly because it's kind of accurate when I yeah, think about you. It's just a giant rant. Yeah. It's like, it's like, can it, can you, are you willing to pay enough attention for the next two hours to get just a little snippet of something that might help you? <laughs> um, right. But um, the most interesting thing is people, subscribers, um, they subscribe and they, they'll ask questions and I'll, I'll answer them and, and say like, you know, how else can I help you? And then they, they turn back, turn around because they're so thankful for all the information. They say, well, how can you help me? Or how can they help me? And mm. the number one thing that they can do for me to be successful, it's like likes, comments, subscribes, those are great, you know? But the number one thing that you can do for me is watch my material and become successful for yourself. That's the best thing that you can do for me. So the case studies are going to be created by the course itself. So we're gonna be, be creating a Discord server which, where they'll have complete access to you and me and our experience and then the entire community itself, which again, we don't care. Like it's not just a community of Shopify store owners who are half halfway kind of competing with each other and halfway, you know, kind of giving each other a little bit of information because we don't care what your success is. You might be like, I got a guy who um, he makes um, um, uh, video games. Uh, he streams video games. He streams uh, PUBG which is a shooting game. Um, and, and I saw that and he's got like 3000 subscribers and he's, he's like, he's like, what do you need from me? And it's just like, it's like, get more subscribers, get better, get good. And it's like, you don't, I don't need this overnight guys. We don't need to do this overnight. Take your time, be patient, never quit. Just keep going. You'll get the subscribers. And he's like, he's like, that's so motivating. That's so nice. And it's like, it's not, it's, it's not really nice. It's, it's me being selfish. Okay. You're just inside my selfish bubble. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's every human being is inside my selfish bubble. And it's like the more successful you are, you have to, whether you know it or not, you have to use my, my, my way of being successful, whether you do it on accident or you do it with, with proper intention, that doesn't matter to me. I don't care how you become successful. If you're successful, you're going to have to take action. You're going to have to do that. If you're successful, you're going to have to persist a little bit. If you're su successful, you're going to have to fail a little bit. Um, and, and so you're going to be using my material anyway. And, and so, but, but it, the, the case studies are going to come with the course coming out. So what, what I'm hearing is uh, based on um, your feedback from uh, Justin's rants uh, YouTube channel is that, that people are watching the material and they're able to um, take that information and, and make use of it in, yeah. in their daily lives. Cause it's so simple. It's like, yeah. Like, what do you want to do? I think I want to make birdhouses. Awesome. Go make some birdhouses. <laughs> it's like, oh, but I need to know. It's like, make the first birdhouse, complete it, and then you'll know how to make a birdhouse. And then your second birdhouse will be much better than your, your first birdhouse. And you'll make 100 birdhouses. By the 100th birdhouse, you're making some pretty nice birdhouses. Basically, just do it. Have faith. Have confidence. Have persistence. Pay attention to your emotions. Um, yeah, all the other stuff will start falling into place, but you just right. need to have your focus on something. And that's why I, I, you know, when I first made this course out, it didn't have a focus. And it's like, well, why are we learning all of this stuff? And it's like we're learning this stuff to be successful because it doesn't matter whether your goal is to make a million dollars or whether your goal is to gain enlightenment or your goal is to become a med meditation master or become a, a gym person. These are the things that you have to do to be successful, but you need to choose something to focus on. I can't, what, I'm not going to choose you, that for you. What is your goal now? 
Justin, after, after spending a year putting this course together, what's your goal right now? Perfecting the message. I got the message. I just need to perfect it. I need to be able to speak it better. I need to be able to do all of the, like I've been working on my PowerPoint skills. I've been working on my uh, Premiere Pro skills, my After Effects skills, because I need to get this message out to as many people as possible before the end of the world, whenever that happens. Um, and- you expect that to happen anytime soon? Um, I don't know. I think we got 10 years. 10 years seems to be the consensus among everybody because um, we're already at each other's throats. You got to, it's like the, the things people say now that, that like about the, the <coughs> other, you know, and, and people assume that I, that I hate those if then people and all this stuff. And it's like, it's like, no, not, not really. Um, I'll defend myself if I'm, if, if I'm, my rights are being infringed upon because I understand what that means now, but um, I don't hate anybody. <laughs> Um, and, and I would never force anyone to become a critical thinker or, or, uh, to integrate anything or do anything really like you have to, cause that's part of the stuff that we talk about. This choice is where we get our happiness from ultimately. And you can't force somebody to make the choice cause it's not doing the right action. It's not making your bed in the morning. That makes you happy. It's choosing right action over wrong action and saying, I'm going to make my bed in the morning. And then actually making your bed in the morning, uh, the defiance of doing what's easier to not make your bed that it's the defiance that makes you feel good. And you take away that defiance if you force somebody to do something good. Because they're not defying anything, they're being forced to do it. And doing good action sucks, you know, right, it's not right. fun. But it's defying evil, that's fun. Defying evil. Yeah, it's like Star Wars, you know? Yeah. The emperor gives, gives says, Luke, you get have everything. You'd be my, my Padawan and you can kill me because that's how the Sith work. And you get the entire galaxy, it's awesome. And it's like, all you have to do is just kneel to me. That's it. And, and Luke's like, no. <laughs> that's, the, that's the harder choice, but it was the right thing to do because he, he, he didn't want the evil. And, and evil, what's that phrase? Evil only occurs when good people do nothing, right? Yes. So I'm hoping that, uh, I guess you're hoping that this course inspires good people to always do something. Yeah, well, you, they, you just got to give people like, yeah, like, so, you know, you really talk about it, like, you not doing the dishes, that is evil, that is wrong, like, make it into, like, a war, okay, mm. and then it becomes fun, it, it, it burns that fire within you, and you're like, I'm gonna do those dishes, those evil dishes, <laughs> clean them up, like, yeah, you know, it's like, you make it into something fun, people like, I, I was food. thinking more about, like, coming across a Nazi, but uh, I understand your point. Well, right now, you know, people are calling people Nazis, um, yeah. Uh, We're just not Nazis. Meaning. Yeah. We're like black, black, black people are being called Nazis. It's like, geez, goodness gracious. Jewish. I got called call a Nazi. Yeah. You got called a Nazi. Yeah. And you know, to be honest, people, people would watch this, this, this channel, this pod or listen to this podcast and they'd be like, Oh, these guys are Nazis just because mm -hmm. of how messed up everybody is right now. And, and um, you know how the inversion of good and evil has been so flipped. Do you think there's anything we said in this podcast so far that could offend somebody? Certainly, any really? words. If if you're if you're an easily offended person, then then pretty much anything that we've just said. Um, I mean, even just in the fact of me spending time explaining things to you, Anthony, can be perceived as mansplation. So even just simply explaining things can be offensive to people. So you know we have to understand the real the, the the reality of the situation. That's why you know I do say you know ten ten years sounds about right. Like we have to start you know turning some heads around. And really, it starts with the people who are lost and confused and looking for help. Mm. 
not the ones who are saying or who are, who are being offended by somebody trying to explain what's going on inside of their heads, which is one of the greatest things of all time. You know, getting to listen to somebody talk about what's going on in, a, in an area of, the, of our reality that we have no access to. Someone else's head. Yeah. I love listening <laughs> to people talk. Like so the most, yeah. Good. Yeah, I'm just gonna say we've we've covered a lot of material here, and in, in the time we've been talking, and there's um a lot of great material. Um, I think I'm gonna have to like uh, again step back and have like integrate some of the stuff and see how how I'm gonna utilize it um, in yeah. my life. But I I think I think like the, the, there's so much material here. Like we have to have at least another at least another couple of podcasts on it. In the next podcast, like, what do you think we should be delving into? I guess we could talk about, I mean, we've talked a lot. We, the, prim, the most that we talked about was about our emotions in this video. So yeah. we, could talk about, we could talk about thought in the next video. Because uh, it's not like I, I, was making, I was making thought out to be like less important than emotion. And that's really not, not the case. They need to be aligned. And so you need to understand your thoughts and, and thoughts are where we trip ourselves up the most because we have traumatic events and um, repetitive memories and, um, and all that stuff. And that also leads into transformation itself, which we could talk about too, which I didn't even say, you know, there's an entire section on transformation. It's an addendum. That would be very interesting. Transformation is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, tr tr like the key to transformation is being able to quiet those thoughts get in contact with like more deeply with your emotions because what I experienced like a couple of times that happened to me when I was able to stop that chatter, you, you can tap into a level of emotion that is so intense. It, it's almost overwhelming. It, it feels mm -hmm. like it almost like you'll, you'll pass out. Um, and, and, and the analogy is, is kind of like this, like when you've, like been on a two day fast or a three day fast, right? And you go back to eating, uh, your, your senses are so heightened, like mm -hmm. all your senses, right? And you go back to eating, say, um, an oatmeal cookie that, that you, you always ate. All of a sudden that oatmeal cookie, because of all the sugar in it is disgusting, mm -hmm. right? And it really is disgusting. It's just like that the, the problem was prior to like going on this fast, your body became climatized to that disgusting amount of sugar, right? You yeah. cleansed it. And, and then the reality of the fact that this cookie is disgusting came out and, and you realize that, right? Um, the, the problem is that it's, it's easy to get back into old habits that uh, will make that cookie take like uh, seem tasty after a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying right now because you're getting to the transformation part. <laughs> right. So it's the same thing when it comes to thought. Like we're so used to this mind chatter, which is like the sugar, right? Mm -hmm. And if we get to the point where we can quiet the mind, it's, kind of, it's almost like going on a physical fast that enables us to connect deeply with our emotions that are so overwhelming. And they should be overwhelming, right? You should be mm -hmm. able to feel deeply deeply but we usually don't because we're burdened by the uh, the emotional equivalent of sugar right mm -hmm. so i would love to talk about like how do we 
quiet that mind so we can fully feel the emotions that are available to individuals and humanity that most people never really feel that deeply, right? Um, how do we do that? Like, that would be like a very interesting discussion for me. How do I'd we like cleanse that. our emotional Palette. sugar equivalent so that we can do that? I like that. Yeah, let's do that for the next podcast. But let's talk about that in the next video. I have to get out of here. Yeah. All right. Well, great yeah. discussion, Justin. I'm still waiting for a release date for Truth Matters. Um, I'll have section one done by the end of the week. Okay, great discussion. I'm really looking forward to our next one when we start talking about the transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be awesome. fun. All right. Um, have a good trip. Let me know when you're down in Florida. Okay.